Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is very special. She is a futurist. She's an author. Um, she is the CEO of the Human AI Institute. And she's going to challenge our thinking today. We're going to be exploring how we can adapt um, so that our careers and our businesses are future-proof for the new landscape that's coming. And uh, to do that without having to sacrifice the potential for human growth and innovation. Needless to say, I'm excited by this um, con- the prospect of this conversation. So without any further ado, Rebecca Murta, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. I'm so happy to be here with you and your audience today. Excellent. Well, Rebecca, before we get any further, would you first of all mind giving us a couple of minutes on your history and then tell us and define what you mean by a futurist? Ah, great question. Uh, Well, my history is very diverse. I actually began my career earlier than I had planned because I had a near fatal accident that prevented me from completing my college, my bachelor's degree. So not having means to grants and loans because my mom and dad didn't want to complete the financial forms, I began to create my own career, become innovative and charge my new my own path. Now this was pre-internet. And when the internet came to be, that's when I stepped out and jumped in. I saw what it could be. That was actually probably my first uh, futurist action, if you will, was my own career. But it was in the 90s, and I I pursued the opportunity to work on some websites. I left a stable corporate job to work at a new media startup and learned everything I possibly could. Fast forward, I worked with uh, Fortune 500 and another large company, a tech company that was publicly traded before starting my own firm, which became an award-winning digital consultancy. And that was based on helping organizations leverage emerging trends to be more successful. So that included things like automation, digital strategy, and a host of other explorations. Um, but that's that's my history in a nutshell, but that also touches on my, my journey as a futurist. And I've done it for myself. My ability to help other organizations has has served me really well and it's served them really well. Um, helping them identify opportunities to create new revenue streams, new product, create be disruptors in their industry, become market leaders and change the dialogue about their not only their brand, but their vision, what what their organization will look like in the future, which translates really well to this moment in time for humans because we're being disrupted by technology. So it is time for, and I always say anyone could be a futurist. There are only three ingredients. One is knowledge. The other one is the ability to do research and look into the future. But the third one is courage, the the ability to step out of your comfort zone and, and not only say out loud, but take action based on what you believe is the right path. And that's where most people stop because it is it is very intimidating and it can be very scary to be the first to do something, well, actually the first to do anything. So that's where a lot of organizations or individuals, people say, well, I thought this and I almost anyone, if you ask yourself, have you ever thought of something like, oh, wouldn't it be great if, and then you follow, you know, fast forward five or 10 years, like, oh, I had that idea. And everyone has those, but without action, we I, don't. I invented a telescopic bicycle pump when I was about 12. And then I discovered it about seven years later in a shelf. But I can't imagine I would have made a lot of money. But yes, absolutely. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone has a story like that. Everyone I've asked anyway. Uh, so so it's really important that we we have the courage to step into the next. And I and actually that brings us into the conversation about the human element of this world that we're living in, the AI world, the technology. The genie is out of the bottle. We're not being able to control it. We we really don't have a lot of foresight into where it will go. We can, we have predictions. But what's really important right now is that humans realize that it's time to level up. We need to become more aware of what's happening around us and become, begin planning what the next chapter looks like, what our organization or what our career, future-proof, I call it, what does our organization, our business, our career look like in two years, five years? Are we even going to be in business in 10 years? And a lot of organizations can't survive a recession. This is much bigger disruption than a recession. Absolutely. 
let's um, start to unpack this then. Yes. Um, when we talk about AI, a lot of people really mean machine learning. And we appear to be significantly off actual artificial intelligence. I've been playing around with ChatGPT and I asked it, what do you need to achieve uh, sentience? It was very categorical. It's miles away from it. And it doesn't uh, believe that, as far as it can believe, that it's going to be there in any time soon. So what we've got is really clever, dumb algorithms that are, if they're well-designed, can spit out some really brilliant insight. But you're not going to be replaced by AI. But from what I've seen so far with ChatGPT and Jasper and those sorts of technologies, a salesperson armed with that kind of technology can be utterly devastatingly effective and really efficient, way more so than any of this technology stack that's exploded around them to just create more friction. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about, first of all, the paranoia that we've got um, and what we what real capacity it can it has to be our ally if we use it correctly. Well, I'm going to challenge something you just said, because I think that is one of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they look at AI, especially in the context of chat GPT or Jasper or anything created by OpenAI, which is now the Bing chat. You know, there'll be new Google chat search. Yeah. And, and what we have to differentiate is that version of AI versus because those are chatbots and yeah. They're based on information. Uh, so here's so let's just go through a, what we understand about AI just really quickly because I want I want right okay yeah at uh, uh, school one hundred one uh, on AI would be yes really, yes because it, I think it's really important because I think at this moment in time this is this is a really important conversation that's not being had very widely is that AI is only as smart as two things one is its creators because it picks up the bias the perception and the limitations of its creators. So whoever programmed AI, what they believe inherently ends up baked in. And we've seen examples of that in some of the chat GPT conversations. Mm -hmm. That's why they sound a little loony because they're only as good as the data sources that they're allowed to learn from. Now, just to put it in context, machine learning has been long for a very long time. And I know this from firsthand experience because I've been a, a student of data in search, which has been machine learning for very, very long time. I'm going to say 15, 18 years. So machine learning, what happens is it progressively becomes more intelligent with the more data it gains access to. But it only is as intelligent as the information it is fed to learn from. So if you, you omit a swath of information, it can't draw from that to give you a correct answer, which is why it's really a cautionary tale to depend on AI for for something that's really, really critical or even something that's important to your business or your organization or, or how you're going to present yourself to the world because you're using other people's information. So you're basically taking information that's been sucked up from the information or the internet and being spat out by a chatbot. So that's very different from different forms of AI because that's a language-based approach to artificial intelligence there are so many other applications for artificial intelligence so right, asking, this is nlp natural language processing correct nlp right. correct okay yes. as opposed to neurolinguistic programming for people who might be confused right, talk, right, talk right. to me about other forms of ai because i don't think many of us will have been exposed knowingly to it right so beyond language there are so many other ways that artificial intelligence operate so language is the basic fundamental for a human interface, how we interface and how we program, right? Because we have to tell the intelligence how to process the information, where to find the information, and how we want to, to deliver that information. When you ask a chatbot if it can become, if it can develop artificial general intelligence, which is AGI, which is the, the that's the singularity, right? That's the tipping right. point where AI becomes more intelligent than humans. Most pre people from the AI community, including Elon Musk, who has been on record numerous times warning about the future of AI and asking for regulation, are in agreement that AI will surpass humans in intelligence. 
a chatbot isn't going to know that necessarily because a chatbot is just a small subset of the application of artificial okay. intelligence. Thank so, you for picking me up on that. Yeah, yeah. So, and and it's just, and I think that's that just points to one of my things I challenge people to do is don't get caught up with shiny bright object syndrome <laughs> because um. because it can be really exciting and and fun to look at Amika, right? The robotic, the woman that's robotic that people can hire to speak at their conferences. She she blinks, she makes she has artificial, you know, she has a human expression. These robotics are far more advanced than what they're putting into the commercial space, but all those applications are friendly and useful to the human experience. So what we're seeing on a public level is very much simplified compared to what is happening on the broader scale of artificial intelligence and everything that can be done with that technology. Now, that being said, AI is already writing its own software mm -hmm. and it has been known to create its own language that its own programmers did not understand. They had to shut it down. And so we have to understand that the capability is there and again, AI experts agree it will happen at some point. It's just a, they just did disagree. Ray Kurzweil from Google was one of the people that said that he thought, I think it was 2045, but that was a really long time ago. I, I would think if you asked him today, he would say that it would be sooner that AI, but, but we don't have to be afraid of it. My, my charge is trying to help people shift their attention from turning everything over to machines and AI to realize that we have to make a choice. We're almost at that tipping point, I believe, that we are making a choice between living in an AI world or bringing AI in, mastering AI to serve humans in a human world. And right now, all the energy is going toward living in an AI world because we're seeing, so again, McKinsey is also an organ, McKinsey projected in 2017 that 400 to 800 million people around the world would lose their jobs to AI. That's about 23 or 25 percent of the workforce globally to AI. Now, that doesn't mean that AI is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, can you step out of your chair? I'm going to take this role from you now. What's happening is automation is is streamlining process. It's eliminating the need for certain tiers of business where there'll be human oversight, but some of those processes can be taken over by the technology. So no one's going to come out and say, when you see 100,000 tech jobs laid off within 60 days, no one's going to say, we replace them with AI technology. They're just, you know, whether it's intentional or it's assumed that because there's there's recession and inflation and the, the economy is tight and people are really driving profit, that they just don't need those people anymore. But this will be the conversation that will continue to be had because those jobs are already being, the attrition is there. So 26% of journalists are gone now because AI is now writing articles for some of the biggest uh, media outlets out there. So people aren't aware of this. They're not looking, they're not really paying attention. So so what I'm trying to say is let's let's let technology, let's adopt technology, but be the master of it, understand how to use it to automate things that we don't need to waste our human process energy on, but don't give up the cognitive skills that we need to process information, think criti critically, identify our own, because we if we give up all of that, we no longer have original thought. We're just regurgitating thought that AI is well, finding. And, and, and this, this is my frustration with a lot of technology that it's badly thought through when you're purchasing it. It's badly implemented and badly used. And then you blame the technology. It's not the technology. The last six, uh, four weeks or so, I've been playing with ChatGPT pretty much obsessively. And what I've realized is the paucity or quality of my questions determines the quality of the answers. And I can give it very, very specific instructions. As I start to use it, I'll start out with a general theme to get an idea of what it uh, can feed me. Then I'll pick specific channels of discussion, and then I'll start building and iterating, and then I'll hit it with a mega question. And the, the question might be, 17, 18 lines long. And it's very specific instruction based on the build before. So for example, 
It's wonderful for competitor analysis and creating copy that allows you to fit in in the gaps, for example. So you can run it against your 10 closest competitors, identify the key themes that they market themselves with. Who is that likely to attract? What are their key messages? Combine and dedupe uh, those messages. Then reword them in a style of rhetorical persuasion. I mean, that is just, wow, mind-blowing. It is. And, and what I'm trying to do is encourage people to not stop there. I want that information. So, but that knowledge, so, for, so here's, and something you said, I just want to touch on this really quickly. As a digital consultancy, I was involved in search a lot. Even Google Analytics, told, they called me one of the top women in, analytic, in analytics in the world. I understood search and data. I still do, but I was I lived in this data. And I will tell you that long tail search is what you're talking about. And, and just like you did that long, very detailed query, that's really how you used now Google has changed their algorithm quite a bit. I've been very discouraged with the quality of search results, even with long tail. But it used to be that the more specific your search became, the better the result would be. And that should be the word the way any AI engine works or chat bot works. So I'm just saying like there's a correlation there, that whole machine learning. So if you understand that, then the more specific you are, the better information that you get. So I think it's important for your listeners to understand, you know, the the benefit of being that specific because you you've you've learned to master it because you're doing that and that I want to point that out because that that is a very valuable approach. What I'm saying though is let's not stop there. No 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 well what else yeah. can I do? Keep going. Yes. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying I've now so got I'm a saying, tiny object to play with. Yes, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so now that we have all this great data, I always say robots can't innovate. So let's take all this information and only when a human really looks at this and understands the consumer experience, the, you know, the economic impact, what the, the financial news was that morning, is there a, a customer experience that made it to the news and, and that promoted a problem or a friction somewhere in the experience that that particular AI engine doesn't have either access to because they'd only go back so far in time, or it's so current that it's not involved, that it's not recognizing that. But people, humans have to be the ones to take this information, to validate it, and then take it to the next level. And this is what I'm saying, instead of letting all these people go, this is where we should be taking all this valuable insight and all these processes that can do all of that comparison in, in a nanosecond compared to the many hours it would take a human to collect that. Now you have intelligence, right? Competitive intelligence that some companies would pay 40, 50, 80, $100,000 for. So now you have information. You can actually sit down and create strategy, use current events, use customer feedback. Use So now you have to look at and this is, I always say every person or every employee in an organization is a data scientist, right? Because it, even the customer service person has a unique set of information based on their interaction. With they, the they have more information than anybody else. They're, they're the best resource. They speak to customers six to eight hours a day. A rep speaks to them three minutes a day. And what and happens a manager though, probably once a decade. Yes. But when that information comes in on that competitive analysis, does how often does someone pull someone in from customer service or from and say, so is there anything here that that like, you know, does does a light bulb go off? Is there what are your ideas? So I'm I, you know, I'm I'm all about collaboration and innovation. It's really like the heart of what I've been doing the last 30 years of my career. And so I'm trying to help entrepreneurs and executives and professionals understand that this is where humans need to go. This is our new threshold of value in the ecosystem. This is how we have to elevate instead of just handing things over and leaving it there. Now we need to use that AI to take our intellect to the next level so that we are more valuable to these organizations. Okay, so let me just try and summarize what I've heard. Um, okay. <laughs> I know, I, I talk fast. No, 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 no that's good. Um, okay, so we are at an inflection point where we can decide, are we going to be uh, terrified and overwhelmed by all of this, or are we going to turn it into our ally? Do we see it as an enemy? Do we make it our accomplice where we 
keep compounding bad behaviors because that's just as easy a path for people to go down. And in particular, this is where I think there's a really interesting generational gap because uh, analog natives, people my generation who've reluctantly learned how to coexist with technology and with data and with all this newfangled wokeness and changing language and uh, all this. Meanwhile, if you don't partner with this stuff, what you're going to do is you're going to fall further and further behind because someone like you or I equipped with this is just going to eat your lunch. And it's going to be done in the blink of an eye and the dust will have settled by the time you realize because the capacity to multiply the capability of an individual to perform intellectual tasks and to process vast amounts of uh, repetitive information um, is has just been revolutionized. However, we have to f- be careful of falling into the trap that we did with the fax and the telex and the mobile phone and the Walkman and the DVD, all of which are now largely defunct and have become something else or have been replaced. We forget that the channel never changes. The channel is the mind of human beings. The medium changes. And just because a medium changes doesn't make it revolutionary. It may do, but human beings' minds don't change that fast. In the last 200 years, we have not evolved. We're not likely to in any of our lifetimes. Even the millennials who live another 100 years from today listening to this will not survive long enough for them to have evolved genetically and their brains to have changed. So that that stays constant. Ah, but but there is a risk of humans losing processing power because right now the human the human brain can process faster than the fastest supercomputer. People don't realize that. But when we start handing over all of the intellectual tasks, evolution will make us dumber. We will lose the those abilities. So you're saying your truth applies in that we have the same capability that we have from centuries ago. It's just the information that changes. And, and But I feel that at this moment in time, because technology can take so much of that away from us, that we are in danger of, of replacing. And, and I think part of part of the industry is counting on that because they want to make wearables. They want to make technology part of the transhuman experience where AI becomes part of the human body, the human experience. And I don't believe that's necessary because I think we haven't even begun to unleash the potential of the human brain, the human intellect, the ability to collaborate and innovate. And that and that goes into a whole other conversation I cover in my book because success is not a solo journey. We can't, we we cannot not, we cannot sit in an office by ourselves and, and accept expect to be successful. And AI has a tendency to make us think that with just that information, we can do everything that a team can. And it, it doesn't work that way. When you understand how these things work, we we really, we, human needs to, and and this is the other thing I talk, I put it in the content, I'm sorry, I'm talking so fast. I'm like almost That's tripping right. my words. I'm so excited. But the um, I actually believe that it's time for the human operating system to get an update. Because I feel that there's a lot of information that has happened that can elevate our ability to process information and view how we view ourselves and how we view our role in in on this planet, but with each other and the universe. You know, when we understand uh, some of the most recent discoveries of science, that we need to update our OS, if you will, the human operating system to include this information. Because if without that, we do allow the technology to compete because technology, right. you know, how often do you get an update on your phone or your okay. operating system on your, your, you know, on your browser or whatever? I'm with you hundred percent in theory. The practice of that is the, uh, the question. So let's just take a step back. Cause that, that's a big, big leap forward which I'm all in favor of, but I think we need to iterate so that people can actually work out how to get there. Because at the moment, the way most people are using AI is a very blunt instrument. It's it's brute force. It allows you to robotize dumb processes. You can do your payments. You can do your adverts and all this kind of stuff. And that's great. Um, 
but my thesis is it's not going to replace uh, th those jobs will disappear but they will be replaced by new ones i mean think about the jobs that exist today that didn't exist 50 years ago the meteor experiment they did a couple of months back where they um, you know, blasted that rocket to the meteor. That was all about mining meteors. The, you know, that's ubiquity of supply of mineral resources from a universe that's full of stuff that on Earth is scarce. Right. So you're going to have meteor miners, which means that you're going to have to have pilots who fly the damn things. You're going to have to have medics uh, who use the space medicine. There's going to be a bunch of new jobs. So it, it's not something to be feared. It's something to be embraced. And I look at this as a moment in time i also see this as an inflection point i think covid has done us a huge favor i know I there is a lot of disruption and uh, suffering from it but what it did was it moved digitization forward 10 years it forced us to look at how do we cooperate and it also opened up the global talent market now my favorite example of this is a bunch of 14 to 17 year olds that spontaneously got together on discord and they created a project team to build a video game. And they're using modern project management tools. They're using technology in order to create them, their frameworks. And everything is done without any adult intervention at all. And that gives me a lot of hope because a lot of generals have a tendency to prepare to fight the last war. And this was the point I was making about the generational gap. Analog natives like me will struggle unless we are surrounded by digital natives who have a different perspective and different uh, under point of view in terms of how technology might be applied, because we have a tendency to apply it in the ways that we're familiar with. So our biases need to be tested. And one of the reasons why I love diverse groups working on problems is that you end up with really robust, sustainable solutions with no unintended negative downstream consequences which is what we're really looking for. We want the outcome. And this is where I think the question really comes back to how do we accomplish X without the negative disruption? And I think people fail to ask those tag questions. They see the shiny object and think, oh, let me run with that. But they don't think about consequences. So when you are advising people, on their AI strategy? How do you get them to think about consequences? Because things like distraction, friction, and disruption are undoubtedly going to play their part and hold them back. And they could very easily be going down a, the wrong rabbit hole. So how do you advise them? Exactly. So there's there's several things that, there's so many things that you just said that I wanted to touch on, but here's the bottom line. No technology, even putting a bunch of young people in a room, creating a solution that seems frictionless without any potential downside is not going to be perfect. There is no perfect solution. And without someone from the analog world and someone outside the STEM perspective, that that solution will never achieve its full potential. So when we're looking at the disruption of technology or artificial intelligence, which is it is not going away. It is something that we should be embracing and using for our full benefit. However, just as there's an increase in call for, so here, you know, again, this is going to that original question. Do we want to live in an AI world or do we want to become masters of technology and use it to better society, to improve the human experience, to make us smarter, not dumber? That requires more than just the STEM professions. We need human the soft skills, we need leadership, we need, yeah, so we need still need artists, we still need creativity, we still need human skills, someone being able to, you know, lead that group and ask the questions that can take them to the next level. So, so that's why I, I you know, I always refer to, I call it crowd success, right, or human AI, is, is empowering humans to use diverse, cognitive diversity, not, not just you know, the diversity that people talk about now is not cognitive diversity. Cognitive diversity is blind, but it includes a vast swath of society that has different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, different people of, of different backgrounds, ages, different educational backgrounds. Not everyone's going to have an MBA or a PhD or be a tech or a programmer for that matter. 
it's one of the things that actually triggered me on the nine and a half year journey of doing research for my book, because that's how I've always approached work, but success, it's the thing that most, the most successful organizations do. And most people are not thinking about their business or their, or life, even their community this way. Everyone's going into their little tribes, but they're not realizing how, how we achieve better solutions faster when we talk to people that are unlike us. And there should be some level of friction because that, that pushes us to the next level. And so Go ahead. I see you want to say something. <laughs> I was coughing. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. So I think so I think it challenges us to identify, you know, uh, you you said a couple of things that I I talk about frequently, you know, just dis- disruption can you can either be disrupted or be the disruptor. You know, being able to identify the greatest opportunities, but understanding the path forward is never going to be as good as it could be without different voices in the room. You, you, you've described wicked problems and uh, the need to have diverse groups of people to look at them. Wicked problems, for those people who are not familiar with them, are by very definition, they are impossible to fix because the whatever you try first doesn't work. So right. you have to keep iterating and practicing and uh, testing. And hopefully those non-fatal experiments lead you to something that gives you a market fit or a solution, uh, some form of basic solution. You've got diverse groups of people looking at the problem. And with that comes the friction, the intersectional moments. And those are really important. So I'm not looking for that to be removed at all. Where I really see some value is in helping you to scenario plan and helping you to do thought experiments on the fly very quickly so you can then test those theses with live human beings because ultimately they make decisions. And what I found really interesting, we've started this experiment. So using this human AI model for thinking where half a dozen of the brightest people I know come together to work with one client and two or three of their brightest people on their hardest problem that they cannot crack. Because these wicked problems are, first of all, whatever you try first doesn't work. The stakeholders differ as you go. They come in and out. They change their minds. The rules change as you go. And whatever final solution you do put in place is imperfect. So you have to keep iterating because they're intertwined. They're interdependent. And if you tweak one thing without tweaking four or five or a dozen other things, you end up just creating more problems downstream and moving the problem somewhere else. And this is where I think AI can really come into its own, because trying to make sense of that mash of complexity and then try and break it down to tame it into bite-sized components that you can uh, have some element of control and influence over and recognize the bits you have no control over. Because that, to me, is one of the biggest obstacles for leadership and management, that most of the technology has been bought to give management an illusion of control. And in doing that, all they do is create obstacles to people being able to do their job right. And it also tells them that we don't trust you. So with that rant over... Um, so give, give us some feedback on that. I'm yeah, not- no, I, I think you're you're right on the money there too, because and then there, and that's not to say all leaders think that way. No. Um, you know, I think their conditioning has been to just fast, you know, get it, get it out, fix it later. You know, that and that's really been the push from from the tech industry, you know, doesn't have to be perfect, just get it out and then iterate it later. But there's so much at stake at this moment. I think there's a layer of this. And I know because, you know, even for 20 years, I've been creating solutions myself. And I know people in the research, the sciences and in, in, in scientific research, and these some of the most important questions are not being asked. Mm. So I think we have to add some examples of some of these really important questions. Okay, so um, so when creating something that's going, you know, so here's the the bottom line is the number one driver for, for a solution is will it make money? Does it generate power or profit or both? And the third, the third question that should be asked is does it benefit humanity? 
does it does it advance the human experience or does it further further make us dependent on technology as a race and i know that's a big question but it's not something that ever comes up it never came up in things that we created over the years i know it's not being asked in a lot of the forums and it and it and it's rearing its ugly head in some of these conversations even with these chatbots people asking and getting crazy answers where a chatbot feels like it's in love with a reporter it's never met and where ai actually says that it wants to steal nuclear codes or it wants to you know nowhere nowhere is the sentiment being where is my ask my big ask is where is the underlying theme that everything must benefit humanity everything should be to serve the greater human experience to further human advancement not surpass it and i think when we start introducing that question things change when we look at something like chat gpt because you know, now they're talking about how to integrate it in schools and businesses are using it to write website where Google actually initially said, well, we'll be able to tell if you have AI generated content on your website and that could you could be punished by the search algorithm. And then they kind of walk that back a little bit. But I will tell you my my years of experience in understanding how all of this works is that those that don't just hand it over to technology that will enhance it with human intellect innovation vision robots don't have vision let's let's start planning what the future looks like and the, the humans that step into that will be the dif differentiators they will be the path they will be blazing the path that the others will follow and this is exactly what it was like when the internet first came into the business atmosphere they called it the wild west right because no one really knew i had people asking me like rebecca do you think anyone will ever actually buy anything on the internet i mean this is how old i am right so and i'm like yeah absolutely like oh i you know i spoke to a, a title company at, at an event and they said do you think there'll ever be a way for people to sign documents without being in the same room and i said absolutely and like well how do you think that'll happen and i said I don't know, but I know it will happen. And so we have to understand that the technology will continue to evolve. We just have to keep making sure that we're using it as a tool, not handing things over, because I think we're we're missing the greatest opportunity for humans to really step into their genius. I agree. And this question is probably going to offend you in that case, um, <laughs> the, uh, the surpassing humans. But I'm really curious, presumably, one can do a relatively good simulation of uh, creating vision and creating uh, and being creative. Uh, I'm really curious <laughs> to see where that can go with the right creatives behind it, because yeah, you know, in the short time that I've been playing with uh, this chatbot, I'm starting to see incredible potential. So. One of the things that I've been doing is, because uh, I know that they don't have the last two years data, is just informing it of those situations and then different scenario plans. So imagine the context uh, of business has changed and interest rates have gone from zero to 5% after 14 years at next to zero interest rates. Inflation has spiked to between 11 and 24%. You've got a war for and a war on talent. You've got, and you, you paint this picture and then you say, okay, scenario, CFO, series A, looking for a next raise, running out of cash. Tell me what the background looks like. And that creativity, I don't think you can get from the machine learning at the moment. So that comes with experience. But when you get a group of people, because we did this experiment with Sales of Force for Good, the community that I've set up with a bunch of my friends, to try and create the conditions for the next generation to not have to put up with the crap that my generation have inflicted on them. And uh, we did an hour and a half where we were just playing with it live. And then I went through this process of uh, asking it to extract all the questions that came out and then rank them on the basis of what the intent, the perceived intent would be by the recipient. Um, its value in terms of advancing their understanding and its impact in terms of being able to extract high value information. And we got 401 questions out of an hour and a half of work. Now, that still requires more refinement because that's way too much. That's the overwhelm. 
But now I can summarize that. So I can dedupe, uh, I can segment it into questions that initiate uh, a spark of interest, ones that uh, occur at different stages in the buyer's journey, making space, passive looking, active looking, deciding, first use, ongoing use. I mean, we can do all sorts of wondrous things, but you can't, you need that creativity and the experience. But having a diverse group of people playing with that reminds me of Sagata Mitra's wonderful hole in the wall experiment in uh, India. He, um, because it um, it was uh, much cheaper to do it over in India, he would arrive and put a generator, a modem and a computer in, and he'd plug it in and then leave it behind a wall. Six weeks later, he'd come back and there'd be about 40 kids looking at this screen, all uh, giving advice on how to use uh, this uh, new toy. Now, what's interesting is two or three would always dominate the, uh, the mouse and whatever. But over that six weeks, these kids had learned English. And when he came back, he said, would you mind doing a, I mean, really impressed, very good. Uh, would you mind doing a presentation on photosynthesis? I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And they were using PhD level material in a language that they taught themselves over eight weeks, um, they'd managed to come up with ways of solving this problem and given quite credible presentations. Now, that strikes me as a really, really good example of how we use this human AI uh, partnership. I mean, with the technology, can you imagine what those kids could do? Exactly. But there's a missing element there. Don't get me wrong. I love technology. I'm an early adopter, always have been. That's why I'm able to see something. And I and again, I've been writing about this long before people were even talking about AI, before they were talking about the quantum yep. process. So I, I have years of this. I've been anal analyzing this. I've done an analysis on multiple levels of this. And I think the story you just told is beautiful because technology can greatly accelerate the learning experience for humans. But there's nothing there that's original thought for a human. And there's no dissenting voice. So when we depend on AI to give us information and to give us a framework and a blueprint that we can debate maybe 400 points or something like that, is AI ever going to come forward like I am today? Is there going to be anything in that AI experience or that stream of data coming from a chat bot ever going to say, well, well, by the way, doing all of this may actually end up diminishing human capability and it could replace human jobs. And maybe we're not thinking about the, the future ramification on society or education or collaboration and innovation. We're reducing the human potential. And what about that, that something that humans have that machines never do? You're never going to hear AI say any of that. So, so there is going to be a, a vacuum of original thought without people being able to step beyond what the AI is guiding them to do. And that's where I'm trying to say, like, we have to just always have that in the back of our mind, you know, be thinking about the AI as a tool instead of the AI being the answer. I 100% agree. And um, I, I, the only thing I would take issue with you on that is that where those kids they were fighting like cat and dog. They were arguing over what should be done. That's where the creativity comes in. Yeah, collaboration. Uh, and that's where the friction comes in. So the model for this is the Medici's uh, in Florence in the 15th century. That's the Renaissance. Um, yeah. You bring yeah. together people with different disciplines, different yes. perspectives, different cognitive uh, differences. Yeah. And uh, you have them look at the same problem together. And they will argue and fight. They, they, those are my favorite moments. It's the constructive conflict that I want the AI to facilitate because that's how you get the best results, certainly from human beings. But now we can accelerate it and, and we can amplify it just as we can amplify stupidity. What we've seen in the last seven years is people have amplified stupidity at scale by uh, pumping out lots of crap marketing that no one wants and no one reads and largely gets you uh, blocked from email servers and is a waste, total waste of life and money um, right. and doesn't move anyone forward. And we've got to start, it keeps coming back to that fundamental, we have to ask better questions. We've got to start asking, what is it we want to accomplish? For us to be able to do that, 
What help do we need? What resources do we have available to us? What gaps do we have? Who can fill those gaps? Questions like this are far more important than how we can squeeze out another 0.1% conversion rate on emails for cold customers who are probably going to churn inside three months. Yeah. And I think there's some fundamental questions that we can ask when we're when we're approaching the use of AI, when we're going to integrate it into process, strategy, planning, that we should be always filtering what we're doing and what we what we receive back through a filter of whether it aligns with our goals and our values. You know, if your whole sole goal is just a 1% conversion, then you may be satisfied that. But if it's 1% conversion and loyal customers, then there's a different equation. And that might require those additional questions that you're referring to. So it's really important. And then we have to take that not just from a, a an organization or personal perspective, then we have to take it to the community, society, and the, the future generations. And again, you're talking for the business application use, and I'm talking that scaled to future generations. Everything we're doing right now is determining the path and what will be accessible to future generations to be able to perform critical thinking skills to figure out what they want their future to look like, not have it programmed and there be allowed no deviation, challenge, dissent. And there's a dangerous moment right now, I think, because people are just blindly just kind of reconsuming or regurgitating what AI is giving them, which is just based on existing data and relying on that versus taking that information and trying to take it to the human level, you know, being more critical and making sure that it serves their goals, their values, what they want their future to look like, what they want their organization to look like, what they want their society, their community, and what they want their grandchildren's life to look like. And it does require a very diverse uh, conversation and analysis. So one of the things I challenge people to do is look at how you you spend each day. How many hours do um, if you want to know if you're thinking like a human or if you're becoming a product of the AI conditioning, you know, how many hours a day do you search, scroll through social media, video, comment on people's uh, posts, write your own posts, and how many, compare that now and put in another column, how many hours a day are you developing your personal critical thinking skills? How much, have you learned something new? Have you met someone that, have you met someone new? Because if you meet enough new people, you'll meet people with diverse perspectives. And you'll, you'll think of someone when something comes up that might just feel like it might be an opportunity for either a different solution, a better approach, a new opportunity, a different vertical different product just or just getting plugged into a different vertical a different you know different people a different community then that happens through the human element and that's the part that we we can't lose sight of so so you know i think there has to be like a balance in how we're approaching just just on a daily basis you know i always on my in my daily planner i'm always making sure that i have time for human connection and making sure that i'm learning something new every day. I do research, you know, I'm a, and in, in, I'm insatiably, insatiably curious. So yeah. every day I'm learning something new. And I think a lot of people don't do that. They're letting, they're letting the algorithms determine what they're, what they're consuming. And that puts you in an echo chamber. So I think you have to sometimes, you know, get curious about something and go get the facts Give even get the facts from AI if you want, but then go do something that either validates it, challenges it, or you step back and evaluate it according to your values and what you want your grandchildren to have access to or your great-grandchildren in two or three generations and what you want their experience to be look like, be looking like when they're planning their business or their future. Well, there, there are two additions to that that I'd like to add. The first one is um, go looking to find uh, ways to prove your thesis wrong. And the AI can be really helpful in speeding yeah. that up. And it can also help you to identify people who disagree with you so you can go and have conversations with them. Um, you have to go and speak to people you disagree with if you're yes. going to expand your thinking. 
And that's where social media and AI, I suspect, will be used lazily. They or they already are. So when you know trying to seek a, a, a dissenting opinion or a hypothesis, challenging your own hypothesis, yeah. or or seeking other people that will not agree with you, just to kind of see if you can either understand their perspective or maybe learn something from them, because I always learn something from someone that thinks differently than I do. The caution is also, again, and and again, you can use AI for that. You can use search, but you have to remember that every single one of those platforms has innate bias. So you may not get all those answers from one source. You may need to go down your own rabbit hole. Like I, I mean, I did went down a rabbit hole for nine years, but you don't have to do that. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole for an hour on something just by going beyond page one on Google search or going beyond what AI presents you in a chat bot and picking some random matter or post or research paper and looking at something differently. You'll be amazed by and that might inspire you to speak to someone else, you know, someone else in the uh, stratospheres, people that you have exposure to. So, and that will expand your mind and everyone else's mind. Yeah, I know. I think there's always something to add to that. You know, it's just really being, making sure that we have the ability to do that, I think is paramount at this moment in time. And I think there's a risk that that could go away if people don't fight for it. Okay. Well, uh, other stuff that I'm doing uh, and I would urge everyone else to do is go and try and prove your thesis wrong. Go out and find people uh, who can argue an opposite position or disprove your thesis. Because if it makes it through that weathering and testing, then you might have something. But don't go looking for um, people in your echo chamber who are going to say nice things. You know, your mum's not going to help. Okay. And the next thing is you have to look outside of your own discipline or profession. One of the things that's been incredibly beneficial for me is I've worked across 500 different segments of the market. My reading list, I've just topped over a thousand audiobooks, and I've listened to novels. I've listened to history, mineral evolution of earth, quantum physics, and a whole series of lectures on philosophy, what's it, evolutionary biology, economics, uh, you name it. And you have to read and uh, fill your mind with a diverse range of sources so that you can ask better questions and start making great connections. And this is where I think the technology can really help because you can start. And one thing that I found very helpful is look at it through a a filter. So one, one of my thought experiments was how do we stop poverty? Or how do we reduce poverty? And my thesis is that we should have a flat rate of 20% tax and 20% corporation tax. And there is no evading it. And if you do, then the penalties are uh, significant. It's not worth evading. Um, And raise the threshold so we remove 3.5 million people out of the tax bracket so they don't have to pay any tax. And that elevates them because we need to stimulate the economy. Well, if we do this, according to the AI, it feeds out a whole bunch of really powerful benefits. Now, the next stage is to look at the downsides. So then you look at the um, you know, monetarist and neoliberal view um, so that you can start building a robust picture. Now, like uh, Rebecca said, the uh, AI will have limited resources. So it's worth going out to different technologies to see what resources they have. But you can also inform it give it good instruction, and it can then go back and look at history. You can provide it with short excerpts, for example, from an annual report and accounts, the chairman's statement, and have them ext- have it extract the key points. Look for patterns of behavior. There's all sorts of stuff that you can do if you bother to think. But like Rebecca said, you have to spend time in reflection. And my recommendation is at least an hour a week with you and just one question. Start with that and then work that question as deep and wide as you can and then save it and then let it percolate and then just come back to it. Keep iterating because that's how you're going to really develop incredible insight. Your thoughts? I agree. I 100% agree. And I think the more we can have these conversations again with people that have different experiences, you know, I like yourself, I've I've 
studied things I never thought I would study. And I, and they have led me down different avenues, you know, studying quantum science led me into other things related to, you know, I talk about quantum entanglement in my book, but I actually feel that that's a fundamental understanding that most humans should have that don't because it does impact our human relationships and, and how we operate and everything that we do. So I, you know, I did not have that information 20 years ago. I wish I had, but the more I dive into that, the more conversations I have with people that are scientists, that are programmers, that are, you know, they have different frames of reference than I do. And it challenges me. And I think that is the missing link because I think a lot of people see AI as making life easier, not a way to be more challenged because without being challenged, we don't grow. So So that's the mindset thing. Yes, yes. 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 And I think that's essential to how we how we move forward is understanding AI as a tool to challenge us, to bring us to the next level and make us and then enable us to do it faster. Right. So does it make those connections so we can meet other people and find other information that will either prove or challenge our thesis, but also, you know, every step of that journey makes us that's how success occurs. You know, opportunity comes from humans. The more conversations you have, the more information you have to draw from, the the faster you can collaborate, innovate. And, you know, here's the thing. We're at a moment in time where all of us is having to, where everyone has to adapt. So we have a choice with our business and our career because nothing is going to look the same one, two, five years from now. Are we going to be disrupted? and just wait for things to happen and be shocked and not have any idea what the next step is going to be? Or are we going to pivot, disrupt, or innovate? And I think those choices are on the table for every single person that's not afraid to think about what they want their next step to look like, what the next chapter looks like. And and these tools are invaluable for that, but they shouldn't be deciding for us. Okay. We've come to time, unfortunately. I would love to have okay. you back. <laughs> I'd love to have you back to talk about some of the ethical issues, mm. some of the governmental issues, because this is stuff that does need to be at least scrutinized by government, and there needs to be regulation. I think the idea that we leave uh, the free market to play with this stuff. To um, self-regulate, think, yes. Yeah, to self-regulate. Crazy. It it hasn't worked in finance. It certainly hasn't worked in private equity and venture capital. And it hasn't worked in um, uh, uh, PPE contracts over here or over there. Or here, uh, yeah. So the reality is where you allow people who have a significant vested interest and too much power and entitlement to continue to compound their cumulative advantages, they will continue to rape and pillage the market. And that's what they've been doing. And I think this could be a really powerful way of democratizing and freeing up, freeing us up from that stranglehold. However, the reality is those people are making the investments. They have a huge amount of power and control, and it poses a huge ethical and social dilemma. Uh, So that's the subject for the next episode. Yes, that's a huge conversation. And that's exactly why everything we talked about today is so essential, because without those endeavors on a personal level or a business level, we cannot influence any of what you just discussed. The uh, the de- the decisions being made for society and humanity are are out of our realm right now, and it can't remain that way. Fabulous. Okay. Well, um, let's uh, get you back on. I'd um, love that. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so, Rebecca, tell me this: you've got a golden ticket, and you can whisper in the ear of the idiot Rebecca, age twenty three. Uh, what one bit of advice would you give her, knowing that at the time she thought she was invincible and immortal and knew everything? Well, I never thought I was invincible and immortal because I actually almost died in a car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think I had a different approach to even, uh, yeah, I've always had a different approach to being an adult. So I think that need to innovate from an early age, I think I learned faster than a lot of other people in my um, my age group. But I think that has served not only me, but everyone I've studied that's been successful is that you have to find your genius. 
you know, don't don't let something else decide what your future should look like. I think we all have to really tap down into what we're uniquely here and gifted to do and embrace that, step into it and unleash that because that is what you and, you know, you're here with unique gifts and talents. I'm here with unique gifts and talents. Together we can do amazing things. It's that diversity and that requires each of us being being able to step into our genius and being authentic to that and creating a future around that. The second you do that, everything clicks into place. And that should be the number one goal of any young person is to figure out what they are uniquely here to do. Everything falls into place after that and success comes faster. You just have a totally different perspective on life. So that's, that's what I would, I would remind myself that as I was recovering from that accident, I think I learned that. But I think I would I would have wanted someone to guide me with that information at a younger age because I think I would have made different choices. Get a coach or a mentor. What's that? Get a coach or a mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do it too soon and you can't have enough of them in my experience. Right. I 100% agree, yes. And I had, I had a few, but yeah, I think we have to have champions. We have to champion each other. You know, we Absolutely. have to be champions well, the, for each other. This is where the whole concept of ecosystems is really coming into its own. And the, the, these are high challenge, high support communities that come together around an issue or a mission or purpose. And they are incredible. I, I'm involved in about half a dozen on a regular basis, and they are just so creative. And what's interesting is seeing how they iterate and use technology, because it's not just this, you know, it's, a, it's all sorts of tech then you can just ask a question and 20 minutes later you've got a dozen answers many of which are very good some of them are yeah. funny and a couple are a bit <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it forces you to think and that's the thing that i'm most excited about because the next generation seem to be more open to collaboration and cooperation and that is humanity's superpower which gives me an awful lot of hope for the future okay i agree uh, well, i agree what would you recommend people read, watch, or listen to? First of all, give your book a plug. Oh, my book. So my book became two. The first is called Crowd Success. It talks about collaboration and the uh, the necessity of community, but also how that actually works. I explore the science. I take people on a journey so they understand exactly why it's essential, especially at this moment in time with AI and technology on the forefront. And the second half is called Unleash Your Genius, which goes into the personal journey of human potential and how we step, what I talked about before, stepping into you, you know, what it is you're really meant to be and how important it is that each of us brings that best version of ourselves to that community and how everyone else benefits from that. So very interesting. Okay, so they've just gone on to the reading list. Okay. Um, how can people get hold of you? RebeccaMurtaugh.com is my website. You can reach me at, you can do a contact there. You can also get on my ca- calendar by going to successwithrebecca.com or you can join me on a LinkedIn. I'm not as active on Twitter as I used to be. I'm, I'm LinkedIn is pretty much my my primary social channel at the moment, but I am launching a community for the crowd success community for human AI. And so I'll be inviting people to join me there as well, because we'll be exploring a lot of the topics that we talked about here today and helping creating community so we can support one another and actually make uh, a greater impact on our young people and our communities and really helping each other succeed in a collaborative manner so excellent yeah okay so what are you struggling with at the moment if there was one thing that people could help you with what would it be oh that's a great question more hours in the day (laughs) okay so let me push back on that let me ask you this what are the distractions that um are tempting you away from your core purpose during the day um, they're not distractions as much as, you know, the, the, doing the important work, the work I'm driven to do is time consuming, but I love meeting new people. I love collaborating with new people, supporting them. It's one of the things I get. That's again, why I'm starting the nonprofit, because I feel that it's one of the things that 
um, it's just something I'm called to do. I'm very good at. I know how to make connections and introduce people and let them just go do what they're going to do. Um, there's just not enough hours in the day to meet enough of those people and make those connections, which is why I'm trying to create this community so I can let them eat, meet each other, you know, like kind of let it take on a life of its own. So I'm not the bottleneck. Um, but there's the so many amazing people. Say it again. What's the outcome that you're working towards there? Greater collaboration and for people not to be working so in an isolated manner. I think we're too isolated. People are so accustomed to working home now that they might get on in a Zoom, but I want to give them tools so that they're looking beyond the conversation and thinking about what the future impact is from that conversation. And again, you know, it's all about disrupt, innovate, or pivot and, you know, helping people future-proof their business and their career is paramount to me right now. And it's why I can't do this fast enough because I think we're at a moment in time that this is imperative. I don't want people to lose their businesses. I don't want entrepreneurs and executives to feel that they're losing control of their organizations. They're having, having to let go of really good people. I feel, feel like we can solve these problems if we just keep doing it together. How can people join this community? Human AI Institute will be the homepage for it. The community is private right now. We're doing a beta. So it will be released when the book comes out, which is very soon. So uh, if you just go to humanai.institute, you'll be plugged in when it comes when it comes live. Excellent. Rebecca Meta, thank you. Oh, Marcus, thank you so much. This has been such a joy. I look forward to our next conversation. Me too. Take care. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And do leave an honest review, one star, five stars, don't care, just honest, on your favorite podcast channel. Now, if you're at a crossroads and you're thinking, do I carry on in sales management? Do I revert back to being an individual contributor? Maybe now would be a good time for you and I to chat. There's a link in the blurb for you to book some time. We can have a chat about what you want your career in sales or sales management to give you in life and how you're going to get there. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.